Good morning. I'm going to read from three different passages today. Hear the word of the Lord from Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Hear the word of the Lord from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord from Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval for it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason, for it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit, not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants, continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligations to everyone, taxes to those who you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. This is the word of the Lord. That was on me. (laughs) I drew the slides. Thank you. All right, so uh, we are in the Ten Commandments. We are on commandment number five, honor your father and your mother. Now, if you are paying attention, and if you're a critical thinker, you're probably asking yourselves, why do do we read something about honoring your father and your mother, and then we talk about the government? How how are those two connected? What? (laughs) So I just want to explain it. So the way that um, the New City Catechism answers the question about what does it mean to honor your father and mother goes as follows. It says, we should fear and love God so that we do not despise or anger our parents and other authorities, but honor and serve and obey them, love and cherish them. See, the fundamental truth is this. Your first authority is your parents. Yeah? And, and, And the way that you treat and respond to, respect or disrespect, your first authority is going to have implications for how you treat authority for the rest of your life. And so, so implicit in the text is not simply something about families. Implicit in the text is a question about authority. Now, we live in an age that does not like authority. I don't know if you know that or not. We, 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 don't, we, we shrink away from it. We get all weird about it. We don't want to talk about it. What's, here's the irony. For those who dislike authority, 
There can be good authority and a bad authority, but there's going to be authority. Somebody's going to be in charge, yeah? So, so you're not going to get rid of the concept of authority. Now, we can shoot for good and godly use of it, but the, the irony is, is, you know, I'm kind of a, a history buff, is, is when someone, you know, who might be, I don't know, uh, frustrated with the government, and they're like, we don't like that authority. They never go, let's not have a government. They just say, I want to run it. So, so the question is not, do we have authority, or can we get rid of it? That, that is an impossible thing. We have authority. It exists and established by God. And so we need to understand how to live with it, how God wants us to respond to it. So let's ask him for help. Lord Jesus, would you help us to understand your word? Lord, everything that you wrote in the Bible is for our good. Even the things that, that, that we don't like, the things that we might misunderstand, Lord, it is good. So help us to see the good that is written in your word today, that we would honor you and obey you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so before we get into the text, we got to ask this question. What is authority and what is it for? What is authority and what is it for? The dictionary, one dictionary says, authority is the right and legitimate use of power. The right and legitimate use of power. So, so, so I don't know if you know this, but when you have a baby, you have a little baby, you have power over that baby because you are bigger, yeah? The baby is powerless. It, it can't change itself. It doesn't eat. But there, you have power over that. And listen, there is a godly and right way to use that power, and there is an abusive and ungodly way to use that power. But the, 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 the beginning of authority is that it is given by God to serve and to protect. The authority that we have over our children is not so that we would boast in authority. It's that they are vulnerable and powerless. So God has put us there to care for them. See, authority, it has its origin in God. God is the absolute authority. And he establishes authority to bless to serve and to protect his creation. Right? The one who has absolute authority is God, yeah? And listen, he created us, and, and if you pay attention to the text in Genesis, he created us, and the very next thing he did is he blessed us. And then he gave us some parameters, not because he was being weird, but for our own protection. See, God uses his power, not in a sense to lord it over us or to mess with us, but to protect us, to care for us so that we would do what is good. And see, see, authority in and of itself is not bad because God, who is the ultimate source of good and happiness, is also the source of authority. From him can come no evil. He is the fountain of good. So if something originates in him, it's meant to be good. And the reality is we actually get benefits of God's authority every day. There's just some, there's a, there's a theological word. I want you to repeat this phrase, common grace. Common grace. It's this idea that God has given everybody, Christian or non-Christian, no matter where you live, these little glimpses of his goodness, these little, little, little pictures of joy, these little pictures of provision. One of the things that I love is sometimes I'll be, you know, I'll be in one part of my house 
and I can hear my children laughing. Now, there's some kind of laughs that's, that's wild. Y'all know what I'm talking about. But, but when it's the good laugh, right? When, when, when they're having some fun, when, when, I, when I can know they're having joy, I get joy. Now, why in the world? Like, like here's some interesting. Laughter is actually not uh, necessary for living. You could, you could hypothetically live without laughing. It's not like air. It's not like food. But it is a joy, a, a, a generous thing given that you would enjoy. And matter of fact, the ability for me to even hear it and the ability for me to process it, that is a gift from God. I can do nothing without him. And that doesn't have anything to do with me being a Christian. I'm just a person that God has decided to bless with these little glimpses of joy because he has authority and he has made creation so that we can enjoy things. He uses his authority not to lord it over us, not to nitpick us, but to bless. Now, y'all know I like food, okay? And sometimes I can bite into some food. I'm like, mm, that was good. God could have made it without taste buds. You know that, right? We could have just been eating little blocks of nothing for sustenance. But he's like, I love you. Have some chicken. Okay, that's, that's the God we serve, all right? He gives us things that we don't need, but, but that we can enjoy. And that's how he uses his authority. In fact, James 1.17, it says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of light, who does not change like shifting shadows. Now, let me tell you something. You know the Greek word for every? Do you know it means every? It means all of it. That's a joke. Sorry. The idea is every good thing that you can imagine, that you can perceive, that you can think of, every joy that you have ever experienced, it was a gift from God to you. That's how he uses his authority. So then we get to this text when it says, honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God has given you. God, God's plan for parents is that they would serve, bless, and protect their children. They're our first authority. And, and honor is due because of the function that should be served. Look, look I, I, I think about how uh, my parents have provided for me in various ways. Mom likes to tell this story a lot. Apparently, when I was young, I didn't like doing my homework. Okay, so she took my behind to the library and said, we can't leave until you do your homework. In that way, she was providing for me. And it's proper to honor that function. See, good, good parents teach us that, exor- that authority exists for our ultimate good and not always for our perceived immediate good. Yeah? There are so many times that I instruct my children for good and they don't like it. I can't tell you how many times my kid tried to tear his hand out of my hand in the parking lot. I'm like, do you want to die? What's wrong with you? Hold my hand. You know, like, and I just want to be free. No, listen, I'm telling you, you don't understand this, but you need to hold my hand. Listen, the perceived immediate good is I want to be free. But the good that they can't see is I want you to live. It teaches us that, that just because authority may say something that we don't immediately like, that doesn't mean that it's not for our good. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm in a hurry and I want to drive real fast. But if everybody was doing that, we'd be in danger, yeah? So, so, so that's a, in principle we understand. Authority is meant to serve our good, 
even when we can't perceive the immediate good. Okay, God wants children to obey their parents because they are God's gift for their good. And y'all, this has implications for honoring our parents even when they're adults. When they're adults, excuse me. So, so like in, in the Old Testament, there wasn't no Social Security, wasn't no retirement fund. Yo, yo, insurance, where's your kids? <laughs> Hopefully they liked you when, when you got old and couldn't work because you wasn't going to get nothing to eat. All right? And God says, listen, you are to honor them, meaning, meaning provide for, protect. And I, I see so many examples, so many beautiful examples of that in the life of our church. 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, if anyone does not provide for his own family, especially for his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's some strong words. God cares deeply about how we care for our family. And then if you go on to the verse, the next, the, the next part of the verse, we get this idea that there is a blessing of living honorably under authority. It says, honor your father and mother wife so that you may live a long life and the land of the Lord is given you. Listen, People who have a habit of disrespecting and disregarding authority usually have trouble in this life, yeah? The most extreme examples put themselves in danger. You know, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm serving uh, with, with youth on Wednesday, sometimes I'll be asking them to do something like this ain't even complicated. Like, can you just do this so that we can move on with our lives? And I'm thinking, if you can't learn how to do this now, when you have a job, you're going to lose it. <laughs> Because you can't obey simple instructions. How we respond to authority, even when we're young, has implications for how we will respond as we get older. And rebellion against parental authority can spill out into rebellion against employers and the law as one gets older. Yeah? So, so, so how, like, it's, it's a, very, like a very clear connection. Honor your father and mother so that you will live. But like, how is that? Is it some magic? No, listen, if you honor authority, usually... It will go well with you. If you don't, you're going to have some issues. And fundamentally, how we treat earthly authority has implications on how we receive God's authority. We live in an age which nobody can tell me what to do. Right? I'm going to do me. You do you. Listen, God says, you got to do me. You got to do what I'm, I'm telling you to do. So if we have, have just imbibed this, this culture and this ethos of I'm going to do whatever I want to do, then the commands of Jesus are going to kind of hit you kind of hard. When he says, actually, I have authority over you. You actually don't get to do whatever you want to do. And it's for your good. A rebellious heart will struggle to submit to the good will and plan. And y'all, this, this one's so easy. I don't have to give y'all a lot of examples. Y'all probably thinking of people right now. You're like, I know about that guy. Now, don't say his name now. But y'all like, yeah, he was tripping, and he kept tripping, and it didn't end up well for him. Now, this, this, this verse seems to hit heavy on the responsibility of, of children, the responsibility of those who are under the authority. But when we get to that chapter in Ephesians, we realize that there is a particular responsibility and charge of those who have authority, of those who are parents. In Ephesians 6.4, it says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. So let's, let's, let's be clear. Authority is no excuse for abusive leadership. Parental authority 
is no excuse for abusive leadership. Parents ought to care for the emotional well-being of their children. Paul didn't say, Dad, tell your kid to suck it up all the time. He said, don't, don't, don't just mess with them. Don't stir them up to anger. Care about their emotions. Care about what they're thinking. Care about what they are, are seeing and understanding. Like we need to instruct the heart and the mind. There is a responsibility. The command to honor is not a free pass for the authority to do whatever it wants to do. The reality is, is God is a defender and, a, and an avenger of the weak and the vulnerable. So, so that should make us parents tremble. Yeah? Who is weak and vulnerable? But your little child. And God is their defender. We, the way we care for, protect, love, that has implications for God's disposition towards us. See, we should seek to strengthen and protect our children. Now, some of y'all are like, I ain't got no kids. Well, maybe one day you will. But most likely, you're going to be an authority at some point in time in your life. And you need to understand that it's not simply so that you can feel good about yourself, but that you are charged before the living God with a task of caring for those who are under your authority and protection. You know, I was, I was in this class one time, and and, and he, the class was about parenting, and they taught this little alliteration device, and I, and I love it. It says that parents ought to delight, disciple, and discipline their children. And he says, in that proportion and in that order. Yeah? So it's so a delight. Like, like our, kids, our kids must know that we love and like them. Now, the perfect father has this to say to the perfect son when Jesus was baptized. You remember what he said? He said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Translation, I love and I like you. <laughs> this is what the perfect father says to his son. Listen, listen, we have to establish a foundation that we love and care for our children before we start handing out demands. So listen, so much of, of behavior issues have, have, have to do with a lack of identity. And, and we get our identity from our parents. And if our parents would shower us with love and affection, it communicates, oh, I am loved. I am valuable. Now, I know some of y'all are like, I ain't got kids yet, so let me just make it for you too. There actually is some overlap before, with discipleship and parenting, Yeah. So if you're going to disciple somebody, they need to know that you like them, <laughs> that you care for them. Otherwise, they don't want to hear what you got to say. So this foundation is that we would delight in our children and then, then we would disciple them, that we ought to train our children in, in the Lord and train them to do tasks. One of the most frustrating things is if you can get mad at somebody for not doing something that you didn't tell them how to do. If you didn't tell them how to do it, how are you going to get mad at them for not doing it? Yeah. That's why, like, like, before you start disciplining, like, if you, like, you didn't sweep right, well, maybe I need to teach you how to sweep. Maybe you don't understand. Sorry, my example. I have kids little. That's my example. Sorry. But the thing about it is we delight, we discipline, we train. We, if, we don't, if we don't train them in godliness, how can we expect them to be godly? 
If we don't have times where we are teaching them about Christ and demonstrating what it means to follow Christ, then we can't get frustrated when they themselves don't do that. So, so we delight, we disciple, and then we, we discipline, all right? And the discipline has to have the foundation of delight and instruction, or else it's just abusive. If you're just constantly mad, and you didn't, you didn't communicate love and care, you didn't explain what you wanted them to do, there is no reason for you to be angry. Because why? Does that not stir up anger? Is that not an exact, is that disobedience, what he says, fathers, parents, do not anger your children. How could I do it? Well, you can discipline them without delighting them and without explaining to them what you want them to do. That's a recipe for confusion and frustration. If, if, if our foundation is not delight and discipleship, it may lead our children to think that we don't care for them. And, then it, it, and if we're their first authority, and they don't think we care for them. What do you think they think God cares? If we are supposed to be a mini picture of the authority of God, and we're not caring, we're not loving, what is their conception of God? All right, let's get to the government thing. God establishes authority. We get, that's the principle we get with, with parental authority, but in uh, Romans 13, 1, it just straight up says, let everyone submit to the governing authority since there is no authority except from God and the authority that exists are instituted by God. Now, I know that some of y'all are thinking, but what about if the authority is bad? I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. So just get your mind right. Just pay attention on time. I'm going to get there. All right. What about if they, yeah, okay, I understand. I understand. God establishes authority. He This is so crazy. When, when, when uh, Jesus was on trial with Pilate, Pilate said, you know I got authority to do with you what I want. Jesus' response is, well, the only reason you got authority is because God gave it to you. That, that's what he said. Like, it, when he's on trial, he's not like, I can't believe it. Like, no, no, I know you got authority. God gave it to you. Hopefully you are right. But I'm not surprised. We get, look at these verses. Authority, again, is meant to protect the weak, to train in virtue, and to punish the wicked. Let's look at verse 3. Uh, and four. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. Because it, it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the run who does wrong. So let, let's kind of take it in turn. The first thing is authority is established to protect the weak. Here's, here's how it works. The state, the government, ought to punish evil because it deters evildoers from preying on the weak. Yeah? If the state has a record of punishing wrong, what is, what is meant to do is go, well, if I do something wrong, I'll get in trouble, so I shouldn't do that. Yeah? It's just, this is not complex. It's very clear. It's very clear. And you'll understand, listen, when there are countries that are in a state of anarchy, when there's civil war, listen, it gets crazy. And the people who are hurt the most are the vulnerable and the weak. 
So, so, so listen, the, the, the state, when it, when it is, when it is uh, punishing wrong, it is establishing, hey, you can't just do what you do, want to do to everybody, particularly the ones who are vulnerable, because there will be a consequence. It's also supposed to train in virtue. The things that are punishable are meant to establish what is good. Listen, if, if you punish stealing, it should teach people, I should seek money through honorable means. Yeah, it's, 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 it's the function of it is to train what is good. So if the state punishes what is bad, it, it, it entrenches in the society what the good ought to be. And lastly, it's meant to punish the wicked. I, listen, I know that some crazy bad stuff goes on to some crazy evil people. And you might go, well, well what is God going to do about them? Y'all, the Bible says that he punishes them through the authority. So, so listen, when, some, when, there, when there's a trafficking ring that gets busted up, what is that? That is God punishing them through the authorities. So you can look around and go, what are you doing? Where are you? No, he is doing it. He's doing it in the way that he said he would. He will punish evil through the established authorities. That is, you might look at it and say, well, that was the, 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 the officer, the detectives. And, but behind all of that, that was God addressing and punishing evil. So I'm going to get to the question that I know y'all got. What do we do when authority is used sinfully or wrongly? What if somebody is using their power to abuse? How, how should we respond? I got four things. The first one is that we honor that authority when asked to do what is right or neutral. And I'll explain the Christians in the New Testament were under an authority that wanted to persecute them. Okay? So, so Paul, the one who wrote Romans 13, later gets arrested and put to death by the government. He just said that they should obey. So what, what does he say? Listen, when, when, when we have bitterness in our heart and someone tells us, if someone we don't like or distrust tells us to do something, even if it's good, we're kind of like, I ain't going to do what you want to do. Y'all you, you know what I'm talking about. I would do the opposite because I don't like you. <laughs> Paul said, listen, listen, if the government is weird, but it's asking you to do something right, your attitude shouldn't be, well, forget you. If it's right, it's right. So we honor God by doing what's right. We may not like who is in charge, but that is not an excuse to be obstinate. We honor even bad or ineffective authority when it asks us to do something that's not sin. A lot, a, a, a lot of times... <laughs> Some of the laws, some of the laws, they might not be like awesome, but they're not like bad. It's kind of like a gray area. It's like I'm like, hey, you're sitting there. Can you sit there? And you're like, no. Like that's that's real, that's a real neutral thing. You you could just honor. You can just say, okay, that's fine. All right. So what do we do when there's bad or simple, simple authority? We appeal to the next layer of authority. Usually, the person in charge reports to somebody. Yeah. Usually, somebody. So so listen, if 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 um. Uh, if someone at your job, if your boss is tripping, you might need to go to their boss and go on up the line. Everybody in authority is under some authority. And if there is an so this, this is what's happening. Like, like OK, so when, when we see instances of police brutality and, and there's uproar, what is happening? There's an authority and they're appealing to the authority above and go, hey, that's not right. That, that's how you would that's how you should respond. The parents have authority of the children, but y'all, the parents report to the state. 
So if the parents are doing wrong, there is an authority to appeal to. You see what I'm saying? I know this is technical, but I want y'all to understand what God is wanting from us. Sometimes you need to go to your boss's boss if your boss is tripping. Okay? The next thing that we do is that we always speak what is true. If there is an authority that is abusive or sinful or wrong, the temptation is to keep silent because you don't want to rock the boat. But that's not the example that we have from the scriptures. You, you, you may be intimidated by those who use their power and authority to abuse, but your obligation is to speak what is true. So, so uh, there's, this, there's this guy named Frederick Douglass, you might have heard of him. All right, he was an abolitionist. He grew up as a slave. He escaped. And you know what he spent his life doing? Speaking. Speaking up against authority that was used to oppress and abuse people. And y'all, it wasn't without his own dangers. People can, I'm from the South, could have came to the North, okay? It wasn't without his own dangers, but he says, I'm going to use my voice to say what's right and right, what's wrong is wrong, no matter the cost. This is the example uh, that the apostles, sometimes the apostles got in trouble for saying stuff. And they just said, well, we're going to say it. We got to say it. If it's true, we're going to say it. All right? So what do we do? So, so there's, there's an evil or bad authority. We honor them when they're asking us to do something right or neutral. We appeal to the next layer. We always speak what's true. And the last one, y'all not going to like, but it says that it, I think that we ought to endure suffering while appealing to God in prayer. Y'all know about, y'all know what civil disobedience is? All right, well, this is February, it's Black History Month. We remember that time uh, and that period of history when civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King Jr., they would do something called civil disobedience, meaning this, that they would go and do something that they knew was wrong, excuse, that they knew was right, but the state said it was wrong. And then what they would do is then they would endure the evil. That actually was a tool and a strategy. They had training sessions so that, that when, when dogs or hoses were put on them, they said, you need to learn how to respond righteously and endure suffering. And it was a prophetic picture to the rest of the country. Something ain't right. Something ain't right. You, we can see this civil disobedience in the Acts of the Apostles. Listen, there was a time where they were preaching the gospel, and the, the religious leaders brought them up, and they, they charged and said, you better not speak about Jesus, or we're going to beat you. And they said, well, whether you're going to beat us or not, we can't stop speaking about what is true. Here's the deal. That doesn't look effective in the short term. But we can look back and see that it was. Yeah? We can look back and look, that, that, that did work. So, so, so even, even if, if we're enduring an abusive authority, we speak what's true and, and listen, we do what's right. And, and, and God, he is an avenger of those who are oppressed. One of the reasons we endure suffering is because we have a Savior who endured suffering. He was righteous. And listen, we may assume that our suffering under unjust authority may not do good. But you could have looked at the life of Jesus and said the exact same thing. Jesus, you have power. You're, you're, being, you're being persecuted by the religious leaders. And then you go to the Roman governor and the Roman governor says you're innocent, but he's going to kill you anyway. He endured suffering righteously. And from the naked eye, it didn't look like anything happened. But we know different, don't we? 
that in his endurance of unjust suffering, that is our salvation and our forgiveness. So listen, we might not be able to see the long run of righteous suffering, but we have an example that God uses even that for good. In 1 Peter 2, 19, it says, it says, for it brings favor if because of a consciousness of God, someone endures grief from suffering injustice. He says, God will show you favor. God will defend you. So listen, this, this, this command is, is kind of awkward and makes you feel funny and we don't like authority and all that kind of jazz. But what's interesting, I want to paint a picture for you. All of God's commands are good. Depending on the time period and the culture in which you live, some of them look better than the others. So let me explain this. If I were to go to, say, Japan, maybe an Asian culture, a high honor culture, and I said, honor your father and your mother, they're like, well, yeah, that's what we do. <laughs> we live in a culture where some of the commands, the commands about being generous, are like, yeah, God's righteous and just. And the commands about sexual purity, like, oh, snap. The issue is not God's commands. The issue is that our culture has shaped us to view some of them as good and some of them as bad. So in a very, very real way, we have allowed our culture to stand in judgment over against God. What's interesting is that happens in every single culture and every single time period. It's just the variables are different. The commands that they like is different. But we have to say, actually, there are some universal, time-tested, eternal laws that whether my culture says it's good or not, I'm going to say I'm going to submit to God. So even this honor and authority thing that tastes nasty in our mouth because we Americans, okay? What God said. So we have to do it. And so we have, we have so many avenues to obey this command. We talked about some of parents and children, employers, employees, governments and govern. Y'all, even pastors and congregations. The, the, the Bible says that, that, that I am charged, that the elders are charged to care for you, that we have authority. And Lord willing, we're not using that authority to abuse, but to, to, to look out for your flourishing and your good. He has set these avenues so that we would be protected, that we would grow. And I love to, to, to look at Christ. Christ obeyed authority. If there's anybody who didn't have a reason to obey earthly authority, it was Christ, because he legitimately knew better than them. Like, he literally, he knew. So, like, like when, 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 when Mary and Joseph are saying, Jesus, you should do this, and he's like, I know, you know, like, like he is the perfect example of obeying authority. He obeyed his parents. There's, there, there's that story when he was 12 years old, and he was at the temple, and he was teaching, and the whole caravan left, and they're like, where's Jesus? And so they all come back. They lost their kid. They came back, and they found Jesus, and Jesus was like, didn't you know I was going to be up in my father's house? And they, and they said, well, you need to come down with us, and the Bible says he did it. He did it. He, he knew better than them. But because he was under their authority, he obeyed them. Christ not only obeyed authority, but he used his authority to bless. In John chapter 13, in verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. I.e., he got authority, he's equal with God. Verse 4, so he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Have you noticed that? Jesus knew he had authority, so what did he do? 
He served. Do you see that connection? He, he knew he had authority over his disciples. So in Jesus' mind, the logical next thing to do is that I would serve them. Jesus, who has authority over all things, laid aside his rights and served. And Jesus suffered unjust authority and is suffering and death to bring us to God. A rigged trial. If you, if you know, if you pay attention to the, to the trial of Jesus, it says that they brought witnesses in and that they all were false witnesses and their stories were so bad that their stories didn't match up together. It was a, it was a rigged trial. In front of, and then the next thing he went to was a Roman governor who looked at his face and said, you're innocent, but we're going to put you on the cross. In 1 Peter 3, it says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, made alive by the Spirit. Jesus' obedience to the point of death, his submission to authority, the point of death. That is the fountain of our salvation in which we can have assurance that our sins are forgiven. And y'all, we're going to end there. Look, Christ will come back. He's going to judge everything. He's going to establish authority. He's going to establish good, righteous, and flourishing authority. So, so we, can trust, we can trust God and obey authority now because he is the source of it. And he will make sure all things turn out right. Let's pray. Father, would you help us to understand your word? Help us to understand your commands and, and will we not um, rebel against them? Lord, Lord, I pray that we could grow in our trust of you. Lord, all of us in here have some, some measure of authority. We have some measure of influence. And Lord, I pray that we would all use it for your glory. That whatever power you have given us in whatever sphere we live and exist in, that we would use it to love and serve others. That we would never use our power in any way abusive. But that we would lay our lives down. I pray specifically for those who, who might be in this room suffering from unjust authority. Lord, I pray that you would be their defender. Paul, Paul could say vengeance is the Lord's, which means he didn't have to take it in his own hands. So Lord, God, help us to, to do what's right and trust ourselves to you, even when life is hard and, and there's injustice. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that that. All the, the authority that exists in this room, that the families will be loving. We pray that our, our, uh, the authority that is in the city, in the state, in the federal, Lord, that, that you would make all that righteous and good and that you would let people who have authority know that they have to give an account to you. Lord God, we love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.